This evening we have a question that has been sent in. I've edited the wording slightly. I hope I got the gist of the question. And it says, You often speak about the Buddha as just knowing awareness. You also speak about developing skillful not knowing. How do these two work together? Well, I'm very pleased to address the question. It's something that I spend quite a lot of time thinking about. The Buddha is just knowing awareness and for me this is very much connected to what is meant by going for refuge to the Buddha. What is it that we go for refuge to and why do we go for refuge? What is going for refuge about? It's very much connected to, at least as I understand it, it's very much connected to where we are finding a sense of identity. And the question of identity is a, it's a big deal these days. It's a hot topic and, and it's a good reason for it to be a hot topic. It's, it's important. Who do we think we are? Who do we feel we are? What do we feel we are? In my own contemplations on this subject of identity and going for refuge, I've come round to considering that we don't have just one identity, or there are, rather there are like various dimensions or our identity is multidimensional and there's a, a core element to it. There's a, a primary aspect to who or what we feel ourselves to be. This is, this is what we bow down to. This is what is most important. And this is also when we're under pressure, what gets activated the things that matter to us most. I'm reminded of a conversation I had some years ago with a, a Christian monk who had been working in a hospital in, in Vietnam during the, the Vietnam War. And, and he shared with me how some of the wounded soldiers that came into this Christian hospital, saying that they were Christians, when it came to actually dying, or they're about to die, they sometimes reverted back to being Buddhists again. And their core identity was what had been instilled very early on in life and what they'd been bowing to for some time. And they may have overlaid it with a belief system 
for whatever reason. However, in some cases, it, it didn't cut as deep as that earlier life conditioning. And, but here we're not talking just about early life conditioning, and that may have a part to play, but what we invest in when we say, I go for refuge to the Buddha, are we saying that I believe that, that the Buddha who lived in India 2,600 years ago was the wisest human being that ever walked on planet Earth? We might feel that, we might believe in that, but is that what we're really investing in? Personally, that's not what I'm really investing in. What I'm really investing in when I bow to the Buddha and when I say I go for refuge to the Buddha, what I'm investing in is my faith that there is a reality, there is a just knowing awareness. This is at the core. This is, as far as I'm concerned, the, the most important thing in my life. And there, as I was saying, other dimensions to what we mean by our identity. There are very superficial aspects to identity which change relatively easily. And, and like, for instance, you know, like my health, my physical health, or, or my age. My health, because that, that changes. And, and my age, well, I'm certainly not 36 anymore. Here I am now as I'm about to turn 70, and this is a relative aspect of my identity. You know, the community here relate to me as an older person and talk about my getting a mobility scooter, and it's a part of who I am. But it's not the most important part. And then there's a, what I think of as a, as a middling or a deeper aspect to our identity, which is perhaps things like, for instance, our nationality. So in my case, so I was born and brought up in New Zealand, although I've lived in this country longer and I have great admiration and, and feel hugely privileged to live in this great country. There's part of me that's still a New Zealander and when New Zealand's doing well, I get a good feeling about that. And when New Zealand's making a mess of things, I, I feel disappointed. It, it affects me. It's part of who I am. It's part of my identity. So I think it can be helpful to contemplate who or what we feel ourselves to be in, in this way. Our identity, our surface identity, our um, kind of somewhat deeper aspects. But then there's a core aspect, I would suggest, that which we bow to. And this is why spiritual training is so tremendously important. When, we're, when it comes to the crunch, when we're under pressure, this is what gets activated. And so for us as Buddhists, what is it that gets activated? Is it a belief system in a, a man that walked in India 2,600 years ago? And, it's, it can be much more than that, and, and this is why I talk about the refuge in the Buddha as a refuge in, well, just knowing awareness. Sometimes it's qualified, a selfless just knowing awareness. Just knowing awareness is, is something that we can contemplate, coincides with what I understood uh, my teacher in Thailand, Ajahn Chah, to be talking about when 
he was talking about the meditation practice on reciting the name of the Buddha and when breathing meditation, breathing in, breathing out, buddho, buddho. And what is buddho? In the Thai language, they translate buddho as being the one who knows. At least that's the translation of the, the Thai word for, for buddho. And, and personally, I don't feel that's a very satisfactory translation because it sounds like there's somebody knowing where I think it would be more accurate to call talk about knowingness. However, that also is, is rather a, a clunky word, so my favourite translation is uh, just knowing awareness. I also find that this fits with what my first teacher in Thailand, Tanajan Tate, would talk about when he said that the practice that we need to be doing is differentiating the knowing or the awareness with the activity of awareness. There's all the activity, there's all the seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, cognizing, all the things that are going on, all the experiences, all the agreeable, disagreeable experiences, all the pleasant things that happen, all the joy, all the sorrow, all the gladness, all the disappointment, all the inspiration, all the disillusionment, all of that. And then there's the awareness of all of that. There's the awareness in which it's taking place. And Tanajan Tate was talking about we need to differentiate. I find it helpful to think of that awareness as just knowing awareness. And I think if you read the, the, the Bahiya Sutta, you'll find this also uh, fits with what the Buddha was talking about and, and uh, the just seeing and the just hearing and the just cognizing. It's just knowing awareness. And, and if we are concerned about identifying that which matters most to us, the heart of the matter, where we're going to turn when we're under pressure, then surely this is something really worth investing in. And so it's not just investing in a belief. It's investing in something that really as far as I'm concerned, it's investing in something that really rings true. And so to think of this, to, to have a concept of the goal, the refuge, the core, as just knowing awareness, that rings true to me. That makes sense. And yes, the qualification of that, sometimes I'll talk about just knowing awareness and add in the expression selfless just knowing awareness because if we are practicing this just knowing awareness like maybe in maybe in meditation you get a little peaceful and things are quiet and you observe that there's, uh, there's something like a just knowing quality of awareness there there can also be a sense of me identified as that just knowing awareness so it can help to think about selfless, just knowing awareness. Or any other word that supports this cultivation. We could also think of silent, just knowing awareness. It can be something like a just knowing quality of awareness at the same time as just some quiet little commentary, 
going on in the background. So I find it useful to add this qualifier, silent, just knowing awareness. Selfless, just knowing awareness. Edgeless, just knowing awareness. We might have a feeling of confidence in cultivating an orientation of effort towards just knowing awareness and yet still at times feel like we're about to become overwhelmed with intensity of some sort. So how about we add the qualifier edgeless just knowing awareness. We can be entertaining a feeling of conviction and confidence and with regards to just knowing awareness and yet still be harboring a sense of limitation, imposing the perception of limited just knowing awareness. And it shows up when we are, as I said, at that point where we feel like we're about to be overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by fear or overwhelmed by, by anger. Fear and anger are perfectly natural. Like liking and disliking are perfectly natural. If we get lost in disliking, it can turn into hatred, which is toxic. We can lose perspective on disliking and be overwhelmed by aversion. Although aversion can be perfectly natural, if we cling to it, if we impose limitations on awareness and collapse and become identified as the aversion, then it can turn into rage or hatred, which is very destructive and very damaging for self and potentially for others. So we can cultivate this refuge of just knowing awareness and add the qualifier edgeless or spacious Edgeless, spacious, silent, selfless, just knowing awareness. All of this as an effort towards establishing ourselves with a, a frame of reference, something that when we are under pressure, we turn in a helpful direction. If we don't have such a frame of reference established, we haven't invested in the refuges in this sort of a way, then we can default to stories, unhelpful stories, like, like the idea that I am inherently limited and I can't do this, or, or the idea that there's somebody else taking care of me, some disembodied being that is looking after everything. That's a, a story that many people default towards and it provides them a relative sense of security. However, is it a true story? And if we believe in such a story, how do we relate towards people who don't believe in such a story? It's one of the disadvantages of that story is that other people who don't believe in the story that there's somebody else looking after us becomes other. Whereas if the emphasis is on investing in just knowing awareness, selfless, just knowing awareness, Silent, just knowing awareness. Edgeless, 
just knowing awareness. Maybe there's a better chance that we can accommodate people who don't share our beliefs, don't share our faith, don't share our convictions. So when I talk about the refuge as just knowing awareness, this is not a small thing as far as I'm concerned. This is addressing the very core. This is, this is what personally I bow to. This is the most important aspect of life. Yes, a belief in the human being that, well, when he was the Buddha, he was no longer classed as a human being, but the Buddha who walked in India 2,600 years ago, uh, the perception that there was such a person, that is important. But that's history. That's old. That being has gone. And when he did go and he was asked... Uh, who is going to lead the Sangha, who is going to lead the community, the Buddha said, I leave the Dhamma. I leave the Dhamma, I leave the teachings which lead us towards the realisation of that safe refuge. That safe refuge which is not going to be bowled over by conditions. So I find this a very skillful way of conceiving of the kind of effort that we can be making in our practice, the kind of effort that offers us some reliable security, the sort of security that's not going to divide us against other people. So the other aspect of this question, which was, you also speak about developing skillful not knowing. Probably referring to it as skillful not knowing because well I'll put it another way there's heedless not knowing where it's just the truth but we don't know about it skillful not knowing is where we're making the effort to know that we don't know now that may not sound like very much, however, when we're struggling with a situation and we don't know how to deal with it, and we reflect, what is it that I can know in this moment? One thing that we can know is that we don't know how to handle this moment. We don't know how to handle this situation. I want to know how to handle the situation. Often is the case that I want to know how to handle the future. And we have such strong habits of setting ourselves up so as to feel secure with regards to the future. But most of that is stories, most of that is fantasies. And if we are serious, and I trust that all of us here are, about our embarking on the spiritual journey, if we are serious about this, we're going to have to be willing to go into the unknown. We're not just wanting to rehash the old. We're wanting to discover something that we don't know. We're going to have to go into areas of great uncertainty. So surely we need to be able to acknowledge that we don't know what's happening. 
This is the feeling of not knowing. And so, yes, it's true, I do talk about it quite a bit because most of us, at least the kind of education that we have in the West, is we get addicted to conceptual certainty. We love thinking that we know stuff. I do. Actually, I would say that the mind does. The mind just loves having certainty. We don't like things being uncertain. We don't like things being unclear. And yet a lot is uncertain, a lot is unclear. So how do we live with this reality? How do we live with the reality of feeling uncertain? Well, it's a training. And what we were speaking about a minute ago about training and cultivating just knowing awareness can help in this. You come across the Buddha's teachings and they, they sound so amazing and we're so grateful for the Buddha's teachings. They can be so clear and give us a sense of confidence and we can have a conceptual understanding of some aspects of the Buddha's teachings and we can feel really confident as a result. And we might feel like we know something. But that's just knowing about something. That's just knowing about the teachings. And it's good and it's relevant and useful. However, it's not the real thing. Just knowing about what the Buddha had to say about the law of impermanence or, or the law of non-self. So knowing about the teachings cannot be the refuge. It can give us a direction. It certainly can be beneficial. What is also beneficial is having access to a quality of awareness that means that we can feel the feeling of feeling unsure. We could call that a degree of just knowing awareness. Here and now, just knowing awareness is not having to have an opinion about feeling uncertain. We might have an opinion about feeling uncertain. We might have an opinion about feeling unsafe. We might have an opinion about feeling threatened. However, there's also the possibility of knowing that we have those feelings of feeling threatened or uncertain or unsafe. And if we invest in that as a refuge, if we build on that, knowing that we are feeling this way, knowing that it seems this way, then when the truth is that we don't know, there's perhaps the possibility that we can really acknowledge that, be honest about that. At least my mind is so quick to want to know things, to want to sure things up, to want to understand. And if we keep following that, always programming our thinking based on memories of the past and fantasies of the future, programming our thinking so as to make ourselves feel safe and sure again, that can compromise creativity. And it's just not true. We don't know the future. So it's really helpful to develop this ability. I've spoken before, but I think it, it's okay to talk again about that situation in some years ago when I was back in New Zealand and I a friend had invited me to go walking along the coast of the North Island, just north of Auckland, and it wasn't anybody else around, and it was a very hot, sunny day, and so we decided that we'd take a, a dip in the ocean. And, and I 
wasn't careful where I went into the ocean and I very quickly got myself caught in a, in a rip current and, and I was being pulled out to sea and it was so powerful. I'd heard about these rip currents and many times. You know, this is how, how a lot of people drown, get caught in a rip current, get pulled out to sea and then struggle, struggle, struggle to save themselves until they're exhausted and then they drown. And this was really frightening. My friend hadn't come in yet and he saw me and saw what was happening and, but he couldn't do anything about it. Fortunately, on that occasion, I remembered that I'd learnt this breathing technique and something inspired me to stop struggling and I just turned over my back and started floating and trusting. It wasn't I was trusting in, in, in anything in particular, I was just somehow trusting, not controlling the situation. And there was this, this battle going on in my mind between the impulse to, to stop this relaxed, cyclic breathing and trusting and struggle to control the situation, struggle to save myself. A very strong impulse to do that. But every time I did that, there was a, a sense that I was going to start sinking. And so fortunately, I was able to inhibit the tendency to struggle to save myself and control the situation and just trust. But then there were the fantasies of what's going to happen when my parents find out? What's going to happen when Ajahn Sumato finds out after all the years and he's been helping me and he drowned? And what's going to happen if I float out to sea and the shark somewhere out here between New Zealand and Australia and there's stories going on in my head and just come back to the breathing, come back to trusting. But the impulse to want to feel sure, to want to know, to want to fix it, to want to save myself was really strong. Thankfully the ability to inhibit that and trust and breathe and relax was sufficient that as it happened I ended up being taken down the beach to a point where I seemed to be out of the rip current and, and um, find my way back to shore again. And for me it was a very embodying confirmation of the relevance of preparing ourselves with being able to meet the feeling of uncertainty with allowing rather than defaulting to controlling. Yes, it felt uncertain. I didn't know that I was going to be drift down the beach and find my way ashore. I didn't know that. But there was enough preparation so that I didn't turn to struggling to control the situation, to fix the situation, and try and save myself. And obviously, I feel very grateful for that. So learning to meet the state of not knowing with open-hearted, embodied effort to cultivate just knowing awareness can be very beneficial. Not just so you don't drown when you go for a dip in the ocean, but there are many experiences in life. And you had a falling out with somebody you thought was a very dear friend and a misunderstanding and, and you just don't know how to handle it can rush in and try and fix it and make it much worse. Or you can feel the feeling of, I don't know how to handle this. It feels like this. And maybe there's a sense that you intuit, it's all right to just 
let it be for now. Maybe it's alright just to feel the feeling of I don't know how to handle this. I would like it to be otherwise. But wait. And then circumstances change and maybe it resolves itself. And or the global crisis that we find ourselves aware of these days on so many levels. Conspiracy theories, fundamentalist belief systems. How do we meet all this? Well, we could try and ignore it and just distract ourselves with something like an interesting novel or just pretend it's not going on. That doesn't ring true. That doesn't feel like an honest response to the crisis. An honest response to the crisis surely means feeling what we feel. However, if what we feel is, I don't know how to handle this, I don't understand this, and we haven't prepared ourselves, well, then we can be overwhelmed. So that's one reason why I, I speak often about learning how to skillfully not know. It's, it's not heedlessly not knowing, but consciously, skillfully not knowing. And there's a benefit in becoming proficient in these areas, and both going for refuge to just knowing awareness, using that concept of the discipline of, of attention, selfless, just knowing awareness, investing in that, reminding ourselves of that, cultivating it. You know, not necessarily the words that I'm using, maybe selfless, silent, spacious, edgeless, maybe you have your own words, but something that really makes sense to you, investing in that, and investing in the capacity to be okay with not knowing. So investing in these is about becoming proficient. And if we well, don't invest, if we don't practice, it's like with anything else. If you, you want to become good at playing tennis, but you don't practice, then you're probably not going to become very good at tennis, no matter you know, how much you love the game and, and admire the great players. You have to really invest in practice. You've got to build up certain muscles in the body to, to be able to play a good game of tennis and discipline attention and, and set your eyes in a certain way so as to have a good game of tennis. And, uh, or becoming proficient at memorising. You know, like Probably pretty well anybody could memorise... Wordsworth's poem on the daffodils over in the Lake District. Not, not too difficult. However, what about those monks in Burma when they get together and, and they recite the entire Tripitaka from memory, not looking at anything. They learn to recite the entire Tripitaka. Here we've got one monk who can recite the, the Patimoka, which is 45, 40, 45 minutes from memory. Somebody, another monk sitting there. In fact, we did it this morning. This was the new moon day, and so we sat here in the hall, and uh, one monk was sitting in the middle reciting the 227 precepts, and another monk was sitting there checking it. it took 40, 45 minutes. Well, in Burma, there are these monks who do the entire Tripitaka. How do they do that? How is that possible? Well, that's, that's called proficiency. That's called being proficient and takes a huge amount of practice. Or if you're into playing the piano, probably pretty well anybody could learn how to, how to play chopsticks on the piano. That's not difficult. But how about playing 
Rachmaninoff piano concerto number three. I mean, how how did that even get written? How how could somebody write that? Let alone play it. And these, some of these musicians, these pianists, play Rachmaninoff three. No music. They just play it. How is that possible? How is it possible? Well, it's practice. It's, it's becoming proficient. And so, for us, becoming proficient at playing the piano or memorising great screeds of text, that's perhaps not a, our commitment. That's, well, it's not our commitment. That's why we're here. However, we do, I trust, have a commitment to becoming proficient with establishing ourselves inwardly with a frame of reference, with a refuge, so that when life really challenges us on any level, whether it's mentally challenging us, physically challenging us, relationally challenging us, socially challenging us, we're not, hopefully, we're not going to default to stories or to reactions of distraction but will be sufficiently equipped so to at least make an effort, no guarantee in any of this, but at least prepare ourselves so that we can make an effort to learn from what life gives us. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. Pandamayang dhamma gathaya sadhukarang dadang